Hello, everyone. This is Luke. On we do not have Gomer on this on this edition of Catching Foxes. So buckle up. I'm excited about that. You should be as well because everyone really does love me. Uh, I, I'm like the guy that like they grow to love. I, it's, I've been told like multiple times, like yeah, I was like, I mean, I was all on Team Gomer at first, but then over time, I was like, you know, um, Luke's not bad. So I'm here with. I'm here with Anthony D'Ambrosio. Did I do it? No. Nope. <laughs> that, was, that was horrible. Yeah. Sorry. I know. Bad. I know. Uh, D'Ambrosio. D'Ambrosio. Okay. Just okay. really lean into the damn, you know? Damn. Okay. Because, like, I want to add, like, an SH in there. Damn. D'Ambrosio. <laughs> I don't know why. We were just, so we were yeah. just talking off mic about how I'm extremely Midwest and there's not a lot of Italians per se in, in the Midwest compared to, like, the East Coast or, like, out, like, out West. And, right? Yeah, all of us Italians, we got we're like in the Midwest. We're like, this is a wasteland. (laughs) (laughs) No one can live here. (laughs) Okay, like no joke. I had like so I was like you know like I had one Italian friend that I that I that I grew up with, and when we were in high school, we would just because of Mario Kart, we'd always go, "It's me and Robert," (laughs) like like that, like just like because we're all like you know just like a. I mean, I'm. I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but this is also like we know we're almost like four. I mean, we're four hundred plus in, so I don't have anything else to really say. I'm so Ohioan that like I've done some. I did some genealogy like on my grandfather's. I think it's on his mom. So my great, my great, I mean, my great grandmother, who I knew, mm-hmm. her side of the family, have been in Ohio since the late 1600s. Oh wow! Like one of the first people to come here. Yeah. And I'm talking like small town Ohio. Like, like it's not like they went to, you know, because I mean, there wasn't anything. Like, and they just stayed because, like, my grandparents are from Bell, are from Bell, Bell, um, Fountain, o- Ohio, whose claim to fame is that the Asian girl from, a, from across the universe is from there. So, wow. like, that's like, like in the sea, I'm like, that's just Bell Fountain, Ohio. That's really weird. <laughs> it's just, you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of diversity. So, and you grew up in Dallas, right? Grew up in Dallas, Texas. Okay. That's right. Are, are you like, are you I'm like a Texas guy? Do you like identify as that? Or are you just, oh, like, oh yeah, man. Yeah. Especially okay. when I'm not in Texas. I think it's, it's <laughs> most fun to be Texan when you're not around Texans. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Cause like, like you don't, I mean, like you don't strike me as like Uber, um, like, cause I've got buddies who are like from there, you know, I have a ton of, I have, I have a ton of buddies from college and they all have like gigantic trucks mm-hmm. and, I have a Prius, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you just don't like you don't have like like they're not like I mean they're all very they're all very emotional because they are like my friends, but they have this like hard exterior or like an mm-hmm. apathetic one, and like you seem right. very much like a hard on your sleeve kind of guy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's there's a lot of Italian in me, you know, a lot more Italian than I think most most Texans have in them. So I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. But yeah. when I was in college, I definitely flew the Texas flag. <laughs> in my in my dorm and i have the big come and take it sign so i got i got the texas pride <laughs> yeah. going on for sure yeah so where did you go to college at i went to st thomas university in minnesota i was uh, in seminary there that's <clears> right. at st john right. vianney seminary okay okay mm-hmm. i've heard of that i've heard of that okay because and then Gosh, it's kind of. I feel like because of the pan the pandemic, they're like because like we talk a lot like pre twenty twenty because we were like doing like all that you know you guys were doing Catholic creatives and I had gone to that. I was like uber involved with stuff. Then like mm-hmm. post pan 
academic. I feel like besides the podcast, I like dropped out of the Catholic, not like your guys' thing with Catholic creators, but just like Catholic creation in general. People who are doing mm-hmm. stuff, I just like lost touch with a lot of people besides Gomer and Matt Fred. So like, I'm, I'm Wait, like, why Matt right. Fred? <laughs> uh, 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 Why'd you pick him? He's like, I mean, he's awesome, but <laughs> uh, I was like, that guy's gonna have half a million subscribers on uh, all on YouTube one day. I'm gonna say close. I'm gonna say close to him. <laughs> no, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know why. We just kind of. We just. I think we just all kind of clicked. Stayed in touch. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just there, it's just there's like a the Catholic podcasting community isn't like isn't much but there are some little like pockets of like like we're buds yeah right, you know? so right, I, right. but i i feel like very much out of touch with like just like everyone so i apologize if there's like things that, like i should like remember mm-hmm. that i don't but so you're Have doing you ever gotten like, into a fight with matt frad we oh like an actual outright argument <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no no we're, we're, we're not like i'd say like we are definitely friends like, i had a great chat with him yeah. the other day for like a half hour it was actually the first time we talked in probably like a year and a half or so but it was and we just like picked it up like that but it was nice. we, but like we were not we haven't spent enough time to where i could just be like what the f- are you doing here although i thought that with like certain things that he said but i know he has felt the same way with with me i know that's what i'm saying is i feel like you guys would have some like really big you know convergence over the venn diagram and then certain parts where you would just really really get yeah 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 no that is 100 percent true we we had i look forward to that day when you guys have him on on and you guys just like (laughs) ask some hard questions i'd say the fun the closest we ever came, it wasn't even an argument or a debate, just just as much as it was like a heartfelt back and forth. Was mm-hmm. do you remember the app Marco Polo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're on like I don't know why we were doing this, but we were going back and forth on Marco Polo, talking about is it immoral to watch Game of Thrones? Wow. Okay. And like, I mean, it was a lot, like a lot mm-hmm. of back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that was like the most we've ever like, you know, like I don't say like argued, but actually like. Have like a, oh we're we're on um, different um, sites here and we're willing to you know right so yeah yeah that was you guys should publish it publish all the market polos <laughs> it's probably, like, no actually it's probably a, a decent <laughs> podcast there <laughs> two just guys and they're like in like like mid thirds being like well, I don't know this fake thing that doesn't really matter at all that's uh. <laughs> so you're let me talk a bit about like why you're on you and I brought up so I could get get the name right you are doing a on a film called triumph of the heart about the story of maximilian colby and really it's more like a i'll you know what i'll I'll let you just why don't you talk about because you're the guy who like is doing the whole thing give me a like just like give our audience a brief like snapshot of like what you're doing yeah so this is a film about the passion of saint maximilian colby it's sort of the untold story i think a lot of people who know his story really know him for trading his life for one other man. Um, but I think that the un, untold part of that story is the relationships that he had with those nine other men who mm-hmm. he was locked into that starvation bunker with for 14 days. Um, we know that they were singing uh, hymns and songs and and reciting poetry and that they were praying whenever... The, they were checked on by like the, I don't, know, I don't know what you call him. It's not called a janitor, but there was a guy who was like helping with removing the bodies from the cells and they would go in every day and check. And they would always find these men 
praying together, singing together, etc. And this is it placed in the context of Auschwitz that that happened is is a miracle, mm-hmm. nothing short of a miracle. The the Nazis, particularly during this time, the Holocaust hadn't gotten picked up yet, so it was really at least not in Poland. Now, Auschwitz was, was really mainly an extermination and like spirit breaking camp for the Polish people first mm-hmm. before it was for the Jews, and it was the most brutal time during that during that time the survival rate was was the lowest and they were actively trying to make the poles kill themselves and to to sort of lose any sense of identity and sense of hope uh, and so for these men to to fight for that long there had to be a, an awakening of their identities and of their spirits that colby helped to to start so we are telling this story through a film and it's a 12 Angry Men style film where a lot of it happens inside of this cell um, with flashbacks and with cutscenes where you see how their songs and their, their, their kind of conversion is affecting the rest of the camp. But it's, it's really an intimate story about his relationship with these nine other men in that cell. Gosh, how, before you get into the movie part of this, I think there's one thing that I do want to ask what, how, so like you on film a, a lot of this at Auschwitz, right? I was, I was like, I'm following it on, on, um, on like Facebook. Like it was, it's honestly like why I checked on Facebook was just to see, I think it was there or like I'm LinkedIn, like how's this going? Cause I was like, this is so great and heavy. And how, like, how, how was that? We, we actually, you can't film in Auschwitz. It's a oh, cemetery basically. So that's, that's a good point. I we were, right now. Uh, no, there there were films that were shot there okay. years ago, but it's no longer. I think since like the thousands, it's not been um, okay, available okay, for filmmakers. Okay. And so, no, we we shot in various different parts of Poland. We went okay. to Auschwitz as a as a group okay, before okay. we shot there. But yeah, it was it's a really profound thing. And for anybody that's interested in going and who's kind of got a devotion to Colby. There's a Franciscan friary near Auschwitz in mm-hmm. a town called Hermetsche. Yep, um, I've don't, been there. Oh, yeah. And there's this thing called the Labyrinth beneath their church that is a, a, an artist who is an eyewitness who was there for a very long time and who saw and knew Colby while he was there. Did all of these really surreal charcoal drawing sketches all over the walls and ceilings. It's mm-hmm. a you know, many, many rooms uh, just completely covered in this almost like nightmare trip mm-hmm. of, of, a, of an experience. And it, it really is like the most profound, impactful thing that I've seen as it pertains to going to Auschwitz was really intense, but going to the labyrinth was like 10 times more so. And um, it really inspired mm-hmm. a lot of the film. That's a, that's a, so I went there in 2003. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, that's a really good point. It, it is like there's two experiences of Auschwitz, right? And there's like, mm-hmm. you're there and you see it and that's horrific, you know, on so many levels. But then like you go there and you see this guy's artwork and you're entering into like, I don't know if the experience is the right word, but like, the, like a weird, a memory almost of mm-hmm. it. And you're like, it's kind of just, it's, and it's, it's, it's a lot, like it's really heavy. How yeah. 
how do you how did you deal with that? Like to be in that headspace a lot. Like I found it to be like almost overwhelming. While, yeah, while no, I was, it was. There. And I was there for like, you know, three hours, if that. Yeah. I mean, three hours is like a lot to be in that place. I mean, I I felt, you know, I, I would say that the, the, the connection to Colby himself was the thing that helped me through it. Hmm. I, during the time while I was there and writing, I, I was having this very, I've had a long battle with an unknown disease that I eventually got diagnosed after I was there when I was writing this the first time I went like Hmm. in August, um, the year before we went and shot. So during that time I was staying in the, I was staying in the friary and, uh, going to adoration and, and writing and was just like, I was sleeping maybe, you know, 30, 40 minutes a night. It was this really hard, very difficult, time and i felt like i've as i've worked on this project it's i've been drawn to it because in so many ways i have felt trapped in this in this suffering that has come along with my my physical issues and i think that as i drew closer to colby the sense of his compassion and his kindness and his willingness to be beside me and his empathy has really given me the courage that I've needed to face that kind of darkness. And I would say that that was really the case for all of us who are working on this film, that Mm. I think that we had to stay in this Auschwitz-like mental Mm -hmm. space for so long, doing take after take after take of these like horrible, horrible scenes. But the, the feeling that we had together as a community and as a brotherhood was was so profound and it, it was really because of how it was just marked i think by his character of, of kindness and love to the people around him so wow yeah, yeah. I, i've that's really interesting i like empathy and just staying close to the lord and almost kind of being guided by 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 St. Maximilian Colby in that, in like that way gives you the, the perseverance mm-hmm. that, you know, and like, and the growing and growing tight with like the cast and crew of your film. Cause I've, I've heard that. I mean, I've heard that on, I mean, I, I know like one person who has been in movies, but like from on different podcasts, you hear people talk about how like you get very tight with people over the span of like a couple of months and then you may never see them again. Mm-hmm. But for that period of time, they're just like your entire world. You're just yeah. doing like, you know, 12, right. 15 hour days for right. two straight months. Right. And so yeah. like, it, it makes sense that you would like get close with them. Yeah. So- yeah. And I would say that, that the, the way that when you make a film, I th- this is my philosophy. When you're making art, you have to, you have to live through the art as you're making it. It's just the, the universe and the world and the spirit kind of conspire to make your life have to reflect what's happening in the art. And I would say that Colby and his, his life as a Franciscan was marked by poverty and community. And he was really, really deeply driven by brotherhood. And Hmm. you can see that his relationships with these other men in the cell, this was like, the zenith, you know, of his devotion 
and his charism, but it was so in line with just how he lived his life in general to go into an ascetic place of suffering and of with a mission and with a few other men, you know? And I think that there is an intimacy that you gain when you give up and make a choice to, to part, to, to live in suffering with other people like that. And I think that our whole film set had to look like that because we had like no money to do what we were mm -hmm. trying to do. Yeah. I mean, trying to shoot a, a period piece, a world war two period piece for, uh, like, you know, we, we had a $300,000 budget and, um, comparatively that's just like dimes oh, for, yeah. for what we were trying to accomplish. So we all had to like give up the rest of it and just like being willing to be uncomfortable and to be in pain and to suffer together. So, yeah, that's, ah, oh, man, there's a lot of places that I want to take this, but I want to talk a little bit just, just about, uh, just about movies in like like in like general like why do a movie on this like why did i do a book like why what was like because i i have found that i know that it that it that it isn't like movie but the ninth episode of band of brothers i can't really watch it all that often and it's there's actually like there isn't a ton of of scenes of the camp in the film but the ones that are, are just like i'm like i that's not a place i want to go when i'm just trying to like chill at like 10 o'clock on a tuesday night <laughs> right yeah, you know, yeah. but it's a place like it's a place like I know I should. Same thing with the film. I'm like Schindler's List. I've probably have seen it mm -hmm. twice. Mm -hmm. Good movie. You know, there's there's another film that just came out. I'm drawing a blank, and it seems fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you have heard of it, but it's about the one of the guards who lived right by Auschwitz and and his family, and they don't. Sh from what I've from what I've heard, they don't um, show the camp. It's just in the background, and like you like. And you hear you like hear the sounds of the camp, but you don't ever go beyond this. And it's just about like how this family got used to life right by it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I, I want to go like see that, but I'm like, am I gonna like? It's gonna take like a little bit of like effort on my part because like I'm gonna have to put myself through like a really hard thing because I think one of what's what's great about other films, I think it's um, Roger Ebert said, films are are they are an empathy machine. Mm -hmm. And that's great, but it also means like when it's when it's like a really heavy thing, it can be kind of emotionally taxing. So yeah. why do a movie as opposed to like a book or even like a podcast or um, something else? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that there's a couple of reasons. One is the medium of film is inherently collaborative and communal mm -hmm. in a way that a book is not. So a book is both in terms of the creation of it, but I also think in terms of the experience of it, it's much more of a solitary experience. And in that way, you get to go deeply into kind of the unique individual mind of whoever, you know, is the per point of view kind of perspective of the, of the book. But <clears throat> with a film, you are really presented with people. And you can watch it with other people. It's, it's more of a liturgy in a way. And I think that, that film has the opportunity to, to elevate the soul and the spirit in, in the context of a community in the same way that like a ballet can. I, I think that you can see this with Terrence Malick 
for sure, The Hidden Life and Tree of Life, things like this, movies like this, I feel like I've come out of an opera, you know, and I don't put those on for entertainment, but for particular spiritual purposes, like I want to enter into a season or into a meditation about something, I'll put them on and and go through them during a, you know, a weekend retreat or um, going into Lent or something like that. And I think that these, this film is going to, to operate like that. It's going to be a tool that does the same thing. And I think it's particularly appropriate for this story, considering that the whole message is about love and community and brotherhood. And it's just a, it's going to be very difficult to watch, not going to lie, very difficult to watch. But I think it's also got a lightness and like a, a sense of togetherness in it that's really special that you wouldn't really get just by reading. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really really good point. And so you talked, yeah. There there is a lot there, and I'm going to try to do that justice. <laughs> like going back to the part of like how film is a collaborative medium, which is very true. You you had mentioned earlier 12, 12 Angry Men, which is a wonderful film that I, if I was a better podcaster, I, w- I would I would have rewatched that right before we talked because it's been about a decade so uh, now i'm like luke ugh. like that's why mad friday's half a million and I, you know so uh, uh, um that's why we have like 20 people who, who subscribe to us on our youtube page why that story like i like i think i know but i i, I would just be curious to hear from you like why go that route because there are other things you could have there are like other stories about a bunch of dudes doing going 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 through a thing but there's like a particular part of that film or like aspect to that film that i think in this case is like really really fascinating so i would like why that movie yeah i think that it's because there's it's a group of people in a in one room who are who start out completely not knowing each other at all as strangers and with a pretty singular point of view with one person who's a holdout who is able to slowly convince all of the rest of them of his sort of contrarian perspective. And in our film, it's, it's the same kind of story that we want to tell of these men who've had their identities and personalities completely and utterly broken. And one man, Colby, who still somehow has hope, uh, who convinces the rest of them to stay alive over time and slowly through his presence and through the way that he ministers to them, kind of brings them back to themselves and builds this like togetherness and this brotherhood with them that ultimately can like lead to their their fight for survival together to sort of use their last breaths to remind the rest of the people in Auschwitz who they are. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. And now for a brief message from the sponsor of this show. Steubenville conferences are where teens go to experience a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. They will have three days of amazing speakers like Gomer, everyone's favorite Gomi Pops. I shouldn't have said that out loud. Uh, three, amazing, three days of amazing speakers, 
opportunities for powerful worship, adoration, holy mass, confession with hundreds of other teens. You don't go to confession with hundreds of teens. I mean, like you stand in a line near them, but you don't all, it's not like a group confession. Let me tell you my favorite thing as a speaker there, I've been doing it. I've been a speaker, I think for seven years now, my first year, it was me, Father Mike Schmitz and Jackie and Bobby Angel is fantastic. Had a blast. Uh, the facet, oh, and Katie, praise McGrady. Super fascinating because you get to see kids who are excited to go to confession and they're in high school. So there are dates throughout the summer in locations across the country. I know one of mine will be Steubenville, Rochester, so that's going to be cool. These conferences have been running literally for decades. That's where Luke's mom and dad met each other. Tens of thousands of Catholics across the United States will tell you their life completely changed when they first encountered Christ at a Steubenville conference. I love the Steubenville conferences because behind the scenes, us speakers do more praying and fasting and talking through and planning and all of this stuff. It's a it's a powerful group event that it's it's a dynamic that's unlike any of the other conferences I've ever done. So click the link to learn more about the Steubenville Youth Conference. It's going to be awesome. Right now, they're running a giveaway for two free youth conference tickets. So whether you're a parent and you want to take your son or daughter and a friend or the youth leader who wants to jumpstart your fundraising, click the link to enter your chance to win. And this is only for the January episodes of Catching Foxes. Fancy special, our thanks to the Steubenville Youth Conferences where you can encounter Christ in three days. Beautiful. Special thanks to the Steubenville Youth Conferences and the amazing program they put on. Was there any other um, a film that like, like what are some of the, so like, I'm not going to, cause that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some other films that have been like very influential. Have you seen 127 hours? Oh, that's the one with, about the guy and the rock, right? And, the guy in the rock. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that, that, that's a, that, that poor, poor man. Uh, <laughs> that's the James Franco film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but uh, like I know of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea is, it's about the guy. The, there's a person who <clears throat> was hiking alone, fell into a ravine, had a rock that kind of fell down on top of him, and, and trapped his hand, like broke his arm trapped his hand against the the chasm wall and made it so that he couldn't escape. Nobody knew where he was, and he ultimately had to cut off his own hand in order to get out. And ultimately has like his own he has a, a whole kind of inner journey that happens while he's trying to survive in this kind mm-hmm. of trapped claustrophobic situation. And so I wanted to I saw that and I've seen lots of other films that are like this, where there's a bit of a, you know, one person trapped in a small space, and they're trying to figure out like how to get out. And somehow this, this shrinking of the physical space allows for all these more surrealistic inner spaces to open up. And you see all of these kind of dream sequences, flashbacks, like other things from outside kind of come in as they as the the person becomes more and more like comes closer to death. And so we created that same, we used a lot of those same sorts of, um, I guess, uh, filmmaking tactics where the, the cell becomes a place that is where there's a lot of osmosis where things begin to come in and out of it and into and out of their own subconsciouses. And so it creates a really like interesting and kind of creative space to play with. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, 
were the, just in terms of like how it's shot and, and a couple of of the images on the on the Kickstarter page, which there, which which we will I'm, I'm talking about in a bit, and there's a link to that in the show mm-hmm. notes. Were there like those are some like they're really beautiful. Like they're really, mm. really cool. And, and that's, I was so, I was so happy when I saw them. I was like, this, okay, this is like, like, you know how it is, like anytime anyone, I, I, this is, I mean, this has been talked about ad nauseum on like a thousand mm-hmm. different things, but like anytime you have like film or TV that is Christian in nature, it's like, please be good, please be good. Ah, uh, it's not. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and so, um, uh, yeah. And I saw, I was like, oh, wow, this is like really like, you know, like, like, Okay, this is good. Like, who were you? Were there any um, influences that like like y- you had going into it in terms of like how it's shot, how you want the? Because I got almost like a Terrence Allen Malick vibe from them a bit. But like, I'm this is like the part of film. Like, I'm really great at the like analysis part of the story. Kind of mm-hmm. good at like understanding like some of like like editing stuff, but like not so good at yeah. like like cinematography. You're like, why is this like this? Here's how this shot does this. I am like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So our our director of photography, Andrew Holshue, he's somebody that I've worked with quite a bit. And I saw I saw his work actually like at a at a small, really artsy church in in Dallas. And I was just like, man, this guy is he's he's capturing in a visual way, like my spirit. Like I hmm. I, I just I loved, I loved his work so much. It was so poetic and transcendent, very much like Terrence Malick. And so I, I hit him up and we've made quite a few short films together. We actually made a, a proof of concept, a 20 minute short film. That's kind of like the origin story of this film. Cool. And the, the collaboration was just a really amazing experience. And Nobody would guess it, but our philosophy on filmmaking, he and I share something pretty similar, which is that we want to work with the smallest camera, least expensive camera package as possible. That is completely opposite to, I think, a lot of other filmmakers because they focus so much on on the image, shooting on film, whatever, the camera. There's a lot of ego attached to the tools of filmmaking and the bigger tool you have, you know, the cooler you look when you're shooting, but you can't do lots of improvisation and real life kind of stuff when you have a bigger, like more expensive film rig with very heavy lenses and all Mm -hmm. of that. And so Mm -hmm. we actually shot it on, I mean, it's still like a $15,000 like camera setup, but comparatively speaking, it's like the lowest the lowest end cinema camera that you can really like be proud of doing a movie on, you know, yeah, um, yeah. with like pretty entry level cinema lenses. And really it's all about the lighting, the mm-hmm. costume, the art direction and the casting and everything like that. We're, we're putting all of our money and time into what's in front of the camera. And then our style of filmmaking, which is actually very similar to Terrence Malick's, is we have the script and we work with the script, but then we just improvise if we are able to get ahead of the clock a little bit. And a lot of really magical, some of the most magical things that we captured happened 
in those in-between moments. And that happens, <clears throat> that was only possible because we had such a small, nimble crew and camera set up. That's so, that is so fascinating. So, I mean, go back to your point about film being a collaborative medium. Like, so the, obviously you have the story and the characters, which like you often hear people say things like, like these, these, these script is God in the sense, like, this is what you follow, like you follow this. And then, and you can add like um, improvisation or this stuff like after fact, but kind of, but then the idea of, I think this, this is one of the reasons why I, I could be wrong here. So I'm, this, I'm just, just like my hunch that like why it looks so good. Like, uh, even, I mean, this is just the, you know, the still the images, but, but even the stuff that's also in the video, like the fact that like you, like you said, you know, it is the lighting. It is, it is the costumes. That's a thing that I think is a bit of a lost art right now. Like one mm. of the biggest come, one of the biggest complaints that you hear about with like certain films and starting to gain a bit of detraction is everything is incredibly dark, but not like in the Godfather where it's like cool and it is meant to be dark. And it's like, we're trying to tell you a thing about the characters and this and these and the story with the darkness. It's like they have like a gray filter on the entire film mm-hmm. and it just, it just looks bad. Like I think like there was a thing on, again, this is not this, you know, is it a film per se? But there was a thing on Twitter where uh, they were comparing a shot from the crown of the queen speaking after, after queen Diana died compared to the actual queen speech. And the queen's speech had better lighting, like the real mm-hmm. one. And then, and mm-hmm. it was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, you don't, it doesn't need to look like this. And it's so hard to make like a really good movie. But mm-hmm. what makes me excited about what you are doing is that like, you know what you're doing. And like, just that, like that right there. I don't know if I would say that. Well, I mean, mean, but but, like, you know, like. We're doing, we're doing our best, man. We're doing our best. Yeah, like you're trying to do a thing. We're still novices. Yeah, we're still novices. Okay, let me, let me put it this way. You have really good intentions. (laughs) And so that gives me, and I, and it's, and it's, I'm not like other people don't, but like stuff right now gets made really fast. Mm-hmm. For the most part, you know, really, really fascinating. And as one of the things that's changed just within movies in the past, you know, I'd say 25 years is you just don't have as many. They come yeah. out a lot faster now. Mm-hmm. And you don't have as many distinct styles until you get to your like best of the best of the best. Like, I don't know if it's possible now to have like a modern version of a of like like David Fincher where mm. everything is planned out to the you know like nth degree and you have to do 80 takes to get it just right because everything including how the shot uh tracks where the like everything is pre-planned out i don't know if people have that luxury anymore so you don't have has and so the fact that, like you're kind of able because you are so you are because you are so small mm. which is this has always been the case to like a to to one extent or the other, like you have a ton of freedom mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of like how, like, you know, like you, you like perhaps don't, don't have it with regards to all the toys that you can have to like help, help like make this work. But regards yeah. to like what you want it to look like and, and how you want to portray things, you guys have the freedom that people who have a, a multi-billion dollar, hedge fund who basically owns their like um, owns their, like movie you have a lot of freedom that, that they don't yeah i think that because we made that decision to go to small investors who 
and because we decided to do it in this really small budget, nimble way, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We, it made us not have to go to a studio, not have to get like big. I don't know. There's not lots of power involved in uh, the creative decision making that can really fo- force us to go on a certain timeline or whatever. I mean, <laughs> there's real life, which is just that, like I don't have a job and I'm working on this and there's no money in it. So I'm living off of savings. So, you know, there's like real life timelines that, yeah. that are involved, but yeah, <clears throat> I think that, um, there's, there is a freedom that comes from, um, being a team that is all completely committed to the same mission and to the same story. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had people who literally found me on LinkedIn flew themselves to Poland and volunteered to work with us for a month and a half. Like, yeah, like we're talking buy-in on a story that I've never seen in my entire life. Like Mm -hmm. I would never ask people to do what they volunteered to do. Um, I I literally had a youth minister. I went to like a, I went to Cincinnati to like raise money and the youth minister from there was like, Hey, I'm quitting my job. I'm interested in film. I'd love to come out and be with you guys and volunteer. And we're like, sure. She came out and she's like, Hey, I also sold my house. Um, and I have some money and we're in like dire straits. So I'm just going to like invest $10,000. You know, it's just like people, people our age that don't yeah. have anything are like, yeah. are, are putting so much of themselves into making this thing mm-hmm. happen. I mean, like, and, and that's, that's just, uh, that's just the the Americans. Like we had people in Poland who, well, one of the big problems that we had was we were doing this big Auschwitz scene, right? Where we've got lots of exteriors, big, big scenes with lots of extras. And I had written them in such a way as I, I just didn't think about it, but like, there's a lot of people getting beaten in these scenes. This is Auschwitz. So this is like part yeah. of what happens. Yeah. And in order for it to look realistic, like it's, it's gotta, it's gotta be sold. Like you can't have them just like kind of nicely ushering like prisoners back and forth from these lines and stuff. Yeah. Like there's gotta be physical abuse and all that means stunts. And, you know, you're not generally supposed to have extras be stunt people, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. in real yeah. movies all of the people who get hit or fall down or whatever, those are all people who are like hired stunt people that have a, like a much higher paid job than like an extra. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we were like, we don't have enough money. Like we're trying to get extras for free. Like we don't have enough money to yeah. hire yeah. stunt people. So we needed a, <clears throat> not only did we have to get like the extras to be like on a different level of like motivated to, to do this stuff. But we also had to have a stunt coordinator who could help us make these things look real and who could like train everybody on how to choreograph through these stunts. And uh, it was two days before we had to shoot, dude, two days before we had to shoot, we had not found a stunt coordinator. And our main actor hit us up and was like, hey, I've worked with this guy. He's really good. Tomas, you should check him out maybe have a conversation with him. We talked to him, you know, like super humble guy. It was like really kind. It was like, yeah, there's definitely a click here. Let's see, you know, if he's any good. We look at his, his, uh, portfolio and he was stunt coordinator for Tom Cruise. This dude was like, 
uh, worked on Mission Impossible and has Holy worked on cow. all of these like huge things, Hunger Games, etc. Um, and how he uh, he was in town. Um, he's got like a Polish office and an American office, and he was okay. in town because of all the strikes and happened oh. to be free. Uh, decided that he was going to come out with his whole team and his daughter and and like. Basically, he saved he saved these like these days. It, we would Holy not have been cow. able to do it without him. So yeah, just lots and lots of amazing like generosity and just sort of fortuitous circumstances of people that happened to be free just at the time that we needed them. And yeah, so uh, I got I God wanted it to happen, and then all of these other people who were willing to just be incredibly generous and stoop down to this like very lowly small budget film to make it feel like it was a multi-million dollar you know mm-hmm. hollywood film so anyway they're just That's all a- kind of given their, their little bit like to colby uh because of their love yeah for what a man like isn't it crazy like how when like you saying yes to the lord to do this and i mean I'm, I'm, I'm actually like did like i mean you feel called to, uh, like to this was this the thing that you yes. like was this like a yes. response okay it wow. was the sort of thing where it was like if i don't do this before i die i will have failed you know <laughs> like, yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yeah it's just like it's just like i'm so on your heart that you're yeah, yeah. like what a yes can bring right like mm-hmm. you know we we often talk about like how our um sin impacts those around us and impacts the church but like so does our yes like like as does like virtue like even like with like sinfulness when we say yes to the Lord and we're doing things in like, I don't know, faith that has, um, that has a, perf- that does a profound amount of good for like other um, people. And I like really, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm really pumped about this because like you, there, there's, this thing is obviously happening for a reason, you know? And I don't know if that like a um, reason is to like this to like, just somehow like be gigantic or if it's just, just to have this exist in the world. But like that's such an encouraging thing. Like that's yeah. so hopeful that like, like because like this is what like I get kind of annoyed when people like crap on like ho- not crap on Hollywood per se, but like crap on like movies or 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 stuff like because to me, like some of the most interesting stuff that has been said of like just like a bug masculinity was said by the by the Cohen brothers in Inside, um, Lou and Davis. Like I think it's. To me, it's, it's probably like my favorite um, film. I think it's one of the most important films that I've ever seen. And I hate when people are like, Hollywood doesn't care about like things that are like true and good and real. I'm like, there's a lot of people that do. You're just talking about the top point zero zero two percent that that like you see that are just like garbage popcorn films, which can be great, but like there's all this other stuff that no one's just I'm taking the time or like you're not I'm taking the time, but all these other people are mm-hmm. and. So, and that like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very important, it's a very, it's a, sorry, this is a very long way of saying that, like, I'm so excited about this. And as a person mm-hmm. who like genuinely would say, like, I would say film is probably my top artistic like medium that like I like to enjoy or that like I think about the fact that like this is happening in this way. It looks like how, how it looks. It, it, it like really has a, it has a great premise i'm really excited about this so don't let me down um (laughs) (laughs) trust me man we're uh i think that you're going to to really be moved you know i i don't think that like the the performances that we captured with the team that we had i don't think that there's any way that this isn't 
isn't a beautiful movie. And there's definitely going to be warts and things that like we just we couldn't do because of time or budget. Yeah, yeah. I think with with what and what people are going to see at the end of the day, I think is going to be like, wow, holy shit, that was that was really emotional. I can't wait for five years to where I'll be recovered and can see it again. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. That's, that's, that's like, I mean, some like, I mean, even a film like inside like Lewin Davis, which is not like a, I mean, it's not as like heavy as say as anything about what happened at Auschwitz. Like it's still like a um, heavy film that I like, I probably almost think about the most. Okay. Actually here, like here is like a better example. I don't know when I'm going to watch the film like silence again. Mm-hmm. But after I watched that, I called up Kevin Hyder and we talked for like three hours about it. Yeah. Because I was right. like, I need to think about this. Because like I still – I'm like, this is so, so good on so many levels. And I like that's the – and like even if it's a thing that I don't necessarily want to go back to and I probably watch Endgame like 20 times over the past five months. So <laughs> what what is the plan – for your film like once it's released or is the goal to like have do you want to try to get it played in like certain other cities like like how like do you have an idea like how you want people because like i do think that i try to i try to like watching movies first in a theater i think that is the best that's the intended um, way to do it anything else right. this is a little bit harsh but like it's it can it can have it can like have the same effect but it's always it's not quite like seeing it in a theater because it's you know yeah so how it's not like, it's you, not as liturgical, right? Like we exactly, talked about the yeah. collaborative nature of the medium. It's um, it really is made to be able to be perceived. That's part of what's unique about it is that it's made to be able to be per- perceived and experienced with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, and and like even just see like like sorry, really really quick. I just have to tell this uh, tell this story. Even in like just the way it's shot and the and the overall aspect ratio. Like I went and saw Ghostbusters play at the Alamo Draft House in 2013, a film I have seen dozens of of times, and I saw things that I n- never uh, that I had never almost seen before. Even one joke, I'm like, "Holy cow!" I never had um, noticed that because you don't it doesn't hit you as hard as it does when you are in a theater because you are you you are I'm seeing it the way that it's meant to be seen. The things right. get condensed, they get you know. So like that's like it's very it's um I really encourage people like it's super like it's made to be seen that way. Sorry, anyways. Right. Yeah. So I, I would say that that's going to be a big priority for us. We mm-hmm. don't have distribution set out yet. We're actually in, um, I can say this, like we're in a um, consideration phase with Angel Studios. We worked through cool. their, their initial kind of um, vetting process. And now. Um, and that's a group that like uh, does like chosen for people who don't, who don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that would mean that we get to do a if we so right now we have to get the funds that we need in order to edit the film then we can send a rough cut to them and they will do screenings digital screenings with investors and if there's certain percentages hit in the surveys that they get then that will determine whether or not we get a full theatrical release with them or if we get a um, like a limited theatrical release or a yeah. digital release. And so it's really important that we get, get, I guess, the funds that we need in order to edit it mm-hmm. well so that we have the best shot that we can at getting that really wide, wider audience. Cool. I, I think that Great. we'll, if, if we 
we have other options if, if that one isn't the one that works out, but it's definitely like the most powerful potential distributor for this kind of film. And yeah. we know already based on the process that we went through that their, their audience is, is really going to be excited to get it. So it's just a matter of determining like basically how much money we get from them mm-hmm. um, to do the release. Cool. Well, one, I really hope that 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 all um works out. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot that you've got to do between right now and then. So, can you talk a bit about like what has to be done and your guys's Kickstarter? Yeah, so I would say that like a um, it's getting to the end of a of a production is kind of like hitting a false peak when you're hiking a thirteen or something, and and you thought. You were sure this was it. It couldn't get like worse. And then you, you get to the top of that and you're like, there's two more peaks. Like I'm only a third of the way up. And yeah. it's like a really like rude awakening. <laughs> and that that's kind of how it is for us. Like we're back here now and we're like looking through how much is it going to get uh, take to get this done? And how much is it going to take to get this done? And oh, like we have to do VFX on this, this to get this car out and, you know, just stuff like that. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, uh, you, you start to really look into that and you're like, wow, this is super expensive. I mean, we have in order to just organize all of the footage and get it set up into workable scenes and to sync the audio with the video. I mean, we've got like at least 10 tracks of audio for pretty much every scene and we've got 40 hours of, of footage. So just like the amount of of organizing data that has to go into it is is really insane. I mean, we had to yeah. spend like something like six thousand dollars for hard drives just for like the the oh, cheapest, yeah. slowest like potential thing that could hold yeah. all of our stuff, right? Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think that uh, we have to go from that to condensed down into a a very you know small, short hour and a half like rough cut. And then from there, we take that to our sound designers and our, um, our potential composers, uh, get quotes from them on it, um, and start to work on the, the creation of the audio kind of design. I think that what people, I think a lot of times don't realize about movies is that most of the things that they're hearing are created in studio outside of the the dialogue. And, mm-hmm. um, the people who are working on that are uh, are doing all sorts of really funny looking things to create those sounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like for, yeah. if you've ever watched like a Foley artist work in studio, they're like clapping stuff and, you know, like doing things yeah, while they're watching it's movie. Wild. It's like yeah. the funniest thing ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like somebody who's like gone back to the old old days of like silent film, you know, when they had like an organist <laughs> and like somebody making sound effects. It's like exactly yeah. like that, except they're like yeah. in their studio just making something. But yeah, we I got like a, a quote from a, from a Foley artist um, who is like from Poland. So this guy is, is, you know, not even a U.S. Uh, dude. And he, he quoted me like $40,000 to do the sound design for it. So just like, yeah, we, we have to find really talented people who are going to do things for like a fraction of what they would make. They would mm-hmm. be making from, from something else. And then um, we have to do it on a, on a timeline and, and get things done pretty quick. 
Yeah. So uh, um, where can people go to basically, because I want, I want like everyone who's like listening just to give you like five bucks or something to help really um, get this made. Where can yeah. they go to do that? Yeah, you can go to to colbyspassion.org or triumphoftheheart.com. Colby's passion without an apostrophe, uh, because that's not how URLs work. But <laughs> Colby's passion is the shorter version of it. And that should take you straight to the Kickstarter page. Great, great. Okay, so we, we will we will have those in the show notes. We talked about it on here, I think maybe when this is going to come out about two weeks ago. So I really hope uh, people are able to go and check that out because I'm really, I'm really excited about this. I think like, God bless you guys for like what you are doing. This is really cool. This is a story that like Colby's, he is my patron saint. And so when I saw this was being made, I was just like, Oh, this is so great. Like we have to do a free ad. So we did a free ad. Oh, and really? like, I don't know if I even yeah I don't even know if I can <laughs> told you about tell that. Me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sorry. Well, like, because like I think you had said like, hey, like, feel free to like tell people. I was like, great. Okay, so I just was. I did like a. I had like a um, seven minute um thing where I'm like begging people to go and give. So that's amazing, dude. I've got to go and listen to the episode now. <laughs> it's, I, uh, it's, uh, I'm uh, I'm behind, but I, I will catch up. Oh, no, I, one thing I will also say about it is that like it's not just about getting the money that we need to make to make this film happen. It's that distributors now are watching our Kickstarter page and Mm -hmm. what happens on our Kickstarter page is going to determine a lot about what they're willing to give us when it comes to our distribution package. So if you want to see it in, in theaters and you want to see it sort of get really broadly out there, like the thing is, I think most distributors are really, they're, they're very like afraid of taking films about catholic saints because especially Mm -hmm. ones that are like this where this is clearly really dark and artistic and this isn't like a god's not dead like we're gonna get a bunch of people in a bus from like evangelical churches to come out kind of thing um there will be no like like guy from like dc talk here yeah 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 it's it's much more high art and like that Mm -hmm. is scary to them because there's not a lot of people who've nobody has done a film like this and and it be successful like it it just hasn't happened so far and there haven't been a lot of tries at it but you know still like there's uh Terrence Malick has never made money on his films you know and for some reason they they keep getting made and distributed but uh he's got this <laughs> auteur director thing and people are willing yeah. to do it for him i guess but mm-hmm. for for people like us Distributors are really afraid. And I've been, I've heard so many times from people like, don't make this movie. You're going to be, it's going to be a disaster. Nobody's going to like Catholics. They just don't support films like this. I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't think that, you know, the Catholics I know. Um, I just think they haven't had the opportunity to get behind something. But I agree. If if you really want to see something happen, like this is your shot to, to see something groundbreaking happen. And that hopefully sets up, a whole kind of renaissance of films like this coming forward in the future. Cool. Nice, man. I'm so, I'm so excited. Please go and please go and support this film. I know we've got to end here in like just a minute, but I'm going to steal a thing from the, from the big picture since you are making a movie <laughs> that is a podcast about film. That, that, like I love that. I, 
that everyone should go and listen to to try to have some um, taste. What's the last great thing that like you saw? The last, last great, great movie I saw? Yeah, and that could be like either like a movie, a TV show, some art that you had to watch. Self-reliance. There's a movie uh, that just came out that I think is absolutely amazing. That, yeah, I, I highly recommend. It's called Self-Reliance. It's about a guy who who's just living a very humdrum life and who's invited to play this game where he's being hunted by by murderers for like a dark web TV show and if he survives for thir- uh, 30 days then he gets a million dollars and it's just it's uh, it's actually a really hilarious uh, take on like uh, I don't know sort of like personal not just coming of age it's like a coming to personal growth it's almost like a uh, play, silver linings playbook type thing where it's like okay. somebody who's yeah. coming from from a lower like who finds themselves again and like becomes who they're meant to be but all yeah. in the context of this really funny gritty like yeah concept yeah. cool great all right I, now because I, I think i saw a trailer for that and i was like yeah but now i'm actually kind of mentioning because I, I don't typically like those films i don't i don't, I don't know why i just like but now i kind of want to see that so Anthony, dude, thank you. I know you have a ton of stuff going on uh, right now. Thank you so much for just for like uh, coming on the podcast and being willing to um, um, talk about all of this. So, dude, thank you for having me. I'm super grateful. I, I love the, the Catching Foxes community, and um, thank I'm, you. I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to some of the next next things we get to uh, to see from you guys too. So, yeah, Who knows excited. And <laughs> thanks for your thanks for your great work. Oh, sure, yeah. of course. Yeah, and everyone, go and go and support Triumph of the Heart. I'm so excited about this. I hope I, I pronounced the right. Yep, I did. And we will talk to you guys next next week. Yeah.